much for that. Take your Bibles if you have them this morning. Go ahead and be finding Luke chapter 5 today. Luke chapter 5. This morning we are in part 3 of an emphasis throughout our church called Tell Someone. If you were with us two weeks ago, the first part of this series was to pray for three lost people to come to Christ. Just to simply lift up to the Lord three of your friends. You may not even know their name. They may be a co-worker. But you don't know if they're saved or not. And you just want to lift their names to the Lord and pray for them. Prayer works. Prayer raises the dead to life, both physically but also spiritually. So we lift up those people to the Lord. I hope you're praying uh, for that. Then also last week we talked about one spiritual conversation. And last week we were in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. And what that uh, entails, what that describes, but also more importantly, what it challenges us to do. The only command in that scripture was to make disciples of all nations. You've had several things in your Sunday school room over the last couple of weeks. And uh, I've, I've gone over these in detail on Sunday night and Wednesday night, so I won't take a lot of time. But this morning you should have received, or you, these are in your classes, they're called Tell Someone, little old business cards. And on the back of it you can put your name, you can put your group, you can put your church. And these are really, really good just to hand out to someone that, uh, to invite them. Because this morning, remember, we're at number five. Invite five unchurched people to your Sunday school class or to your small group. Uh, let's even open it up. Invite five people to Sunday school. They may not be in your class. You may be talking to someone else that may be a teenager or may be a college student or uh, you may be a young person and this person's older than you. Maybe it's a neighbor. But you can give them this card and tell them, hey, we're an emphasis at our church called Tell Someone. We want you to come and be a part of our small group. This one's the most important thing. We've tried to put these all over the church. This describes everything that we're doing over the next eight weeks. It's a um, uh, several-fold pamphlet, and it describes everything. It even describes how to lead someone to Christ. So you see those. I know those are sitting right, that, right out there as well. And then next Sunday, uh, we've been talking about how eventually we're going to start seeing how we're doing as a church. Next Sunday, each one of your classes uh, will fill out a card. On the top line, it says this a blank, how many ever it is, the number of lost people that are prayed for. So you'll ask your class. Somebody may say, I'm praying for one. Somebody may say, I'm praying for two. Maybe you didn't have the opportunity this week, and you're going to try the next week. The, the, the bottom line is, is not to see... Uh, not to try to get a certain number of people that are prayed for. The bottom line is we want to encourage each other and we want to motivate each other to share the gospel. So that's why we're going to put our feet to the fire. The second one is the group members who have learned a gospel presentation. That's how many is in Sunday school next Sunday in your class because they'll hear that. Number three is what we're going over this morning. Number of unchurched people invited to a group. So you'll ask your class, who invited someone this week? Who uh, either through a conversation, who gave out a card, any way you can do that, write those uh, numbers down. And then the, ne the last one and the most important is the number of times group members have shared the gospel. That's the last one. That's what we're going to cover next time together is how many people are sharing their faith. And that's what we want to get to as a bottom line. This is a, uh, think about it as a team challenge that will encourage us and motivate us to be better uh, disciples and faithful witness to the gospel. You remember a couple of, a couple of weeks ago in uh, Sunday school, some of your most of your classes had the opportunity to fill out a survey. 
And it's about 50 questions. There's no way I'm going to go over every one of those. But I gathered about five or six of them this morning that will help us out to see where we are at as a church. I believe this is from college students all the way up to our, uh, our adult classes took these, uh, these surveys. So I want to give you some of those results uh, today. The first question you had was, our church has a strong desire to reach lost and unchurched people. You could go from one, which is strongly disagree, all the way up to five, which was strongly agree, and, and, and anywhere in between. So that question, our church did this. 81% either agrees or strongly agrees that our church has a strong desire to reach lost people. That's good. Uh, 19% was either in the middle and uncertain or disagree or strongly agree. Uh, the next question I got was the fourth one. Many people in our church develop relationships with those who are not in church. That's exactly where we're at today. Inviting five lost people to come, or five people, excuse me, invite five unchurched people to come to your small group class. 60% agrees or strongly agree. 40% disagrees or strongly disagrees, or they're either they're uncertain. Uh, so one thing I know about that is that you were honest, and I appreciate that so very much. The next question I got was, the members of our church are friendly to outsiders. Uh, one of the things that they're doing a lot in Southern Baptist life is having um, uh, secret guests. They actually do this for a living. They go to churches secretly, and they check everything out, and then they go back to report, and they come up with a, how would you like to do that, by the way? Now, we don't give you permission to be absent, to go be a secret person or something. I think we've got to vote on that or anyway. But, but you go to these churches and you check out the nursery. You check out the safety and security. You, you walk in and see if people make you feel welcome and, and so many different things. So where are we at as a church? You said uh, 86% agree or strongly agree. That's awesome. And then 14 disagree, strongly disagree, or either uncertain. Uh, number eight, an unchurched person would feel very comfortable in our worship service. Now, this question... Um, I wish it was more specific because if someone's not, not a believer, they should not feel comfortable when it comes here because they ought to be convicted when the Holy Spirit, whether it's through worship or the or preaching of the Word, this is more of will we make them feel welcome? Will we shake their hands? Will we hug their neck? Whatever uh, we want to do. 73% agree, strongly disagree. I mean, strongly agree. 27 disagree or strongly disagree on that one. All right, I think I've got two more. 15. We have many guests each week in our worship services. 58% of you says agree or strongly disagree. 42% disagree or strongly disagree or uncertain. Uh, for about 12, 13 straight weeks, we've had guests in our worship services. Those that we know of. So that, that may be a surprise to you. I hope it's not because that's something we've been praying for every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, that God would, would continue to bring folks to our way. And then last one is this. Many of our members invite people to, ev to church every week. Now, if you, if you scored 100% on that, I would pray, have an invitation, and we would go home. Because this would be, uh, I wouldn't have to go over this because you got it. You understand? How many of you are wanting to see 100%? Don't raise your hand. I'm looking down. But you know the reason why we got to go over this? is because only 43%, less than half, of our college and adults agree that we invite people to church every single week. More than half, 57% disagree or strongly uh, disagree. So, or, or, or are either uncertain. Some of you may have checked uncertain because you just don't know what other people... You know what you do, but you may not know what other people do. So let's talk about... Tell someone, invite five unchurched people 
to your small group. Take your Bibles. if You, you should already have them open. Luke chapter 5, and we'll be in verse 27. Luke 5, verse 27 and following says this. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, your translation may have the word Matthew. That's the and either Levi or Matthew. He was sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. This was Jesus speaking to Levi. So he left all, he rose up and followed Jesus. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father, I ask today, in these next few moments, Lord, that you would speak. God, that we would listen to your Holy Spirit as he speaks to our hearts today. Lord, we believe that this Word of God, the Bible, Lord, it is without error. It is your Word to us. It is your love letter to us. Everything we need in life can be found in the pages of this book. Teach us this morning through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. So tell somewhat this passage here in Luke chapter 5, 27 through 32 is the account of the calling of Matthew or the calling of Levi. This happened very early the ministry. Levi was a tax collector. He was one who was not real famous during Bible days. In fact, Bible people, religious folks, and even others would look down on tax collectors as someone who was wicked, someone who had an occupation that was not honest. Because in, in Bible days, even though there were a few couple of different taxes, they were not set in stone. So nobody really knew exactly how much to pay. All they did was trust what the tax collector said. And for many of these, they would take some for themselves. Now, as you look at the history of Levi, we don't know if he was one who took money on the side as others. We just know he was in the profession that was not real famous. That was not real godly. It was not a, a profession of integrity. That was this person. You would describe this person as very worldly. You would describe this one as a chief of sinners. You would describe this profession as someone who is probably the worst of all. And yet Jesus looked right in the heart of Levi and said, follow me. Before we even get to inviting five unchurched people, there are some here today that need to know that there is not someone who has committed more sins that can't get to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not a person in this world who is too worldly that can't be saved. There's not a person in this world that is so far out away from church that they can't come back to the gospel. So there may be some people in your mind that you want to invite, but also know in your mind there's some people that you're thinking, oh, he'll never come. Guess what? Unless Jesus called, Levi would have never come. But Jesus spoke to him, and he, through the gospel, was saved, and his life forever changed. So God can do anything. You can't, but God can. And He equips you and gives you the power to be able to go and to be able to share. There's three words, just like last week. I only had three words last week, but three words this week that I want you to write down from this text. The first word is this, is the word invite. It's the word invite. 
after verse 27, Jesus says, follow me. I want us to, to go down to verse 29 because this is where I want to camp out just for a few minutes. After Levi leaves everything and follows Jesus, look what happens next in verse 29. Then Levi gave Jesus a great feast in his own house. He invited Jesus there, but he also invited some other folks. There were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. When Levi gave his life to Jesus, he went straight to his friends and said, Come to my house. We're having McAllister's or Subway sandwiches. And we're bringing a host of people. Jesus is going to be there. And I want to invite you to be there because I want you to see the person who changed my life. How do you know if Jesus has changed your life? If you want what you have to give to other people. You want to be able to share that with other people. You want to be able to invite others. There's two things. Number one, he wanted them to share. He wanted to share what Christ has done for him. But number two, he wanted his friends to get saved. Now, I told you these were tax collectors. These were those who were not looked at very prominently. And Matthew says, if Jesus can change my life, then I want my friends to come. I want to invite five unchurched people to be a part of my group. Your, the solution is not your class. The solution is the class who's teaching them about Jesus. And maybe they'll come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Here's a classic test. A text of someone getting saved and then their life changing as a result of that and wanting to tell uh, their friends about Jesus. Now, I challenged you last week during the, in the message, but also during the invitation, to pray that God would open up a door for you this week to be able to share your faith with at least just one person. We prayed that specifically. And I asked you too at the very end of our service. And I, if you prayed that, I prayed that, that you took that seriously. And that God gave you opportunities. And you may uh, could come and testify. This is what we've done. Well, I prayed that same prayer. Because I don't want to ever ask you to do something that I don't want to do myself. I don't want to uh, be someone who says, do, do, do. And, and not my own self going out and doing the same thing. So a couple of things this week. I was extremely busy just like you was. Uh, Monday, had, uh, Jolie had a doctor's appointment, so I went and got her from school and went to the doctor. And after that, I had to get her back to school because I had another appointment I had to go and to make. So, have you ever been so hungry, but you have no idea what you want for lunch? None? Well, well this illustration is going to work well. Well, I was that way. So I stopped close to Grenada. There's a shell station right there. And I said, well, I'll go in there. If they've got some chicken, I'll get some chicken. If they've got some fried fish, I'll get some fried fish. Well, I didn't know they don't have anything hot in there. So I said, well, what, if you're ever in doubt and you can't find something, get you a Dr. Pepper, a bag of chips, and a Butterfinger. So that's what I went and got. I got a Dr. Pepper, a bag of chips, and a Butterfinger. And I put it up there on the desk. And I said, and, I, and ladies said, well, you kind of got a little bit of everything. I said, yes, ma'am, I'm in a hurry. And this is all, I, I don't know what I want. So I, I love Butterfingers. And I love Dr. Peppers. I love uh, barbecue chips. So this, this is what I want. And right before I left, it was like God hit me right in the heart. You got to be somewhere really, really quick. But would you be late to stop and to be able to share? So I just through made a conversation with a young lady there, invited her to church. She was already, already a member of a church. So that led to the next question. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Oh, yes, I do. I said, praise God, keep living for Him. And then I left. 
Thursday, I was in another place and went to a fast food uh, restaurant to pick up uh, also, once again, a meal on the road. And I went in there and I placed my order and I said, I want this, this, and this and a large sweet tea because it was like 98 degrees Thursday. And I, they said, well, we don't have any sweet tea. And I said, oh, man. <laughs> so what do you do when there's no sweet tea? I got a Dr. Pepper. So I said, let me have a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and I went to the lady at the counter and I said, okay, there's nobody behind me. I said, Lord, here's what we're praying for. And I told the lady as I pulled up, I said, ma'am, I said, you mean to tell me you are a fast food restaurant in southern Mississippi, in the state in the south of Mississippi, and y'all don't have sweet tea? She said, well, we had it, but three cars earlier we ran out. I said, well, that's okay. I said, Dr. Pepper's almost just as good. I said, by the way, where do y'all go to church? There were three or four of them there. And they all told me, I said, so all of you are believers. You know the Lord as your Savior. Every one of them, yeah, yeah, we know the Lord. I said, well, okay, okay. Well, we just, all we got to do is plant the seeds. God gives the increase. We just got to plant the seeds. So yesterday, I said, God, we got, I got to figure something out. I'm coming to church Sunday, and I, I want to be able to share my faith and share the gospel with someone. So Joel and I went to the Grenada um, Jubilee yesterday morning, and we left about 940. We got there when they opened, left about 945 or so, because I wanted to go back and get the rest of the family and, and, and bring them. There were some things I wanted them to look at there. And as I was just about leaving, I was walking fast, trying to get to my truck, and this gentleman come up beside me. We were walking together, and he says, well, who do you have in the game today? I said, well, which one? He said, oh, man, the main. I said, well, they don't play till tonight sometime. He said, the one at 2.30 tomorrow, today. I said, in love, can they both lose? He said, no, they can't. I said, well, I, I'm rooting for uh, the other school in Mississippi. I said, that's who I'm rooting for. And uh, I said, but I said, here's what it's going to boil down to. And it seemed like. At least 10 to 15 minutes, all we did was talk football. We talked about offensive lines and defensive lines and, and how they need to, this needs to happen and this needs to happen. And, 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 and for the quarterback, just for 10, he was very, very knowledgeable of the game. I was learning a lot. And right before we left, I had an opportunity. I said, man, do you go to church anywhere here in town? Yeah, I go to so-and-so church. I said, so you're a believer? He said, yes, I know Jesus as my Savior. I said, praise God for that. Keep living for Jesus. Those were three opportunities with their, their Christians. Now, God only God knows their hearts, and you have to trust them on that. But God will put you in places. And what that did, it didn't disappoint me, but it encouraged me even more. Because the more you talk about it, it becomes a habit. So I asked, just like with Levi here, Levi gives his life to the Lord. He begins to follow Jesus and leaves everything. And he wants to make a party. He wants to have a feast at his house, and he invites his friends, he invites his tax collector friends, those who, who don't know the Lord, to come and to hear about Jesus. If Jesus really has changed your life, then you want to let others see what Christ has done for you, so you invite. But then there's a second one I want you to see in this text, the word invite. But I want you to see the word invest. Invest. We don't just invite someone, but we dig into their life. We invest in their life. Notice what verse 30 says. After they had their meal, the Bible says in verse 30, and their scribes and the Pharisees, these are the religious people of the day, they complained against his disciples, against Jesus. Excuse me, against Jesus' disciples, saying, 
Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and with sinners? So Levi did what he wanted to do, the right thing to do when it comes to the gospel. And that is to follow Jesus, leave everything, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus, and to invest in other people, invite them to the gospel, let them hear about Jesus. And you would think that the, the most joyous people during the day be the ones who are the most religious. And yet they were the ones who complained. And they said something like this, why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? Don't you know they're the worst of the worst? Don't you know many of them are thieves? Don't you know many of them are in the same category as a murderer or something like that? Why are you eating? Why are your disciples? Why is Jesus eating with those people? You have to be very careful as a Christian that when you begin to live the life of a disciple and you begin to invite and invest in people, you have to be careful that sometimes the most religious folks in the world will become your enemy. Why? Because their life has changed. Your life has changed. And they see something of a, a, whether it is a power struggle or something that they may be jealous of, or really it's something maybe that they're not even doing. So when others are doing that, they say, what's wrong with him? Is he a fanatic? Is he just going chaotic for, for inviting people to church? We don't invite people to church. We just want to have our own little thing. But for these, these religious folks, they begin to complain that Levi is investing in other people. The scribes and the Pharisees were quick to diagnose the needs of others. But they were blind to their own needs. For they were sinners like everybody else. They appeared righteous on the outside, but they were corrupt on the inside. Jesus talked about the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew 23, 25-28. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that are outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. But even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and full of lawlessness. Listen, folks, church, as a church, there will always be opponents to the gospel. Not just those on the outside of the church, but even those on the inside of the church. When you get a hold of inviting five unchurched people to your group, and God begins to bless, and you begin to pray, and invite, and invest, don't be surprised if there is criticism among your own peers here in the body of Christ. I wish it were not true, but if it were, if it were not true, I would not have said anything, but it is true. Don't be surprised if your biggest opponents to the gospel are those who profess, who profess to follow the teaching of the Bible. Don't be surprised if your biggest opponents to the gospel are those who fill our churches today singing, Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore, but will criticize those who actually do it. Don't be surprised if your biggest opponents to the gospel are those who praise with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. Do not be surprised if your biggest opponents to the gospel are those who really need the gospel itself. You've got to remember that. 
That in a body of Christ, not everybody's walking with Christ. I pray they were. I pray they are. But for some, they are not. Our message is to please Jesus and none others. And for Levi, for Matthew, to leave everything and to follow Jesus meant that some of the religious folks behind him were pointing the finger, saying, how in the world can Jesus even be sitting there? I ask you the question, who's the worst sinner in the group, the tax collector or the religious person? The tax collector today is in heaven. And unless that religious group repented of their sins and came to know Christ, today they're in hell. We must invest in people. Disciples care about one thing, and that is investing in people. One of my favorite illustrations I use oftentimes is, I use this all the time when, when I have an opportunity to go through pre-marriage counseling with, with couples who are, who are about to be married. and We talk about communication. Communication is pretty key in marriage. And there's five different levels of communication. The first one is cliche conversation. Hey, how are you doing? Doing fine. How's the dog? Doing fine. And you just, everything's right there. Everything's on the surface. But then you go a step further, and that's level four communication. This is where you report the facts. Man, we almost won yesterday. Man, we almost won. Man, I went to bed and I woke up and they were almost winning again. I had to stay up a little bit longer. We almost won. This is what we should have done. It's like reporting the news. And we get to level four. Then we get to level three, and this is the, the, where real communication begins. This is where you begin to share your ideas and your judgments. This is where you begin to share what you are really passionate about. And you share it with other people. Even though someone else may not believe the way you do, you share it. Man, we are, we are passionate. I am a diehard fan of this team or that team. I love my kids. My kids are, are, are doing this. And you share what you are passionate about to other people. Then you go to level two. And that's where you begin to share your feelings and you share your emotions. Not just sharing the facts and ideas and judgments. But you begin to open up your heart and to share how you really feel about something. And then level one, which is complete emotional and personal communication, absolute openness and honesty with individual. If you really, really love people and your and your friends who do not know Christ, you would jump from level five and work your way all the way down to level one. Friend, how are you today? I'm doing good, man. That's that's really good. You walked. That's level five. Did you watch the game yesterday? Absolutely. What did you think about it? Well, this, this, and this. That's level four. You get to level three and they say, man, I wish, I wish people in our world was as passionate about, about spiritual things as they are about football. That's level three. And then you jump right into level two and you say, you know what? Jesus Christ has really changed my life. And it really doesn't matter what happened yesterday because Jesus Christ could have come back last night and no matter what happened yesterday, all that was vain and, vain and behind the scenes. I would have, if Jesus would have come back last night, I would have stood right before Him and I would have been held accountable for all the sins I've ever committed. But you know what? I gave my life to Jesus and He saved me. He redeemed me. He bought me with a price. He forgave me for my sins. See, we're still on level two. So if He were to come back last night, I would have stood before Him in a white robe, given a crown that I would have placed at His feet, and I would have been forever, ever in heaven because of what Jesus has done for me. 
And that opens up right now to level one. Friend, do you know Jesus? And you know what? They may start out with number five. Well, I don't know. They may start at number four. Well, I believe and I have a Bible and I go to church. You've got to get them to level one. Man, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? See, nothing else matters when you get to that level one because you are complete and honest. And for Levi, that's where he wanted his friends. He invited them and brought them to this feast where they could hear Jesus. Levi invited, he invested, even though there were those that criticized. He invested. And that leads us to number three and the last one. I love these verses, verse 31 and 32. Jesus answered and said to them, Don't you know Jesus hasn't answered every question? (laughs) They asked why he would eat with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus answered and said to him, Those who are well may have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He really didn't answer the question specifically, but really he did. He didn't say, this is, the why I, this is why I eat with tax collectors and sinners. This is why I do this. He just simply called out everybody together in one single group. Those who are not sick, they don't need a physician. And Jesus is not saying that there's a certain group in our world who doesn't need to be saved. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that if, if you're not sick, you don't need to go to the doctor. I didn't come for those, but instead I came for those who are sick. I came for those who are sinners. I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call the sinners, and I come to call them to repentance. It's as if he's looking right into the scribes and to the Pharisees saying, You are sick. You are not righteous. You need to repent. That's why I'm here. I'm going to a cross. I can save Matthew. I can save Levi. Whatever you want to call it. I can save you as Jesus is saying. You invite. You invest. And then number three, you involve. Involve in the gospel. And that's what Jesus said in verse 31. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those... Who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I read a book several years ago from David Platt called Follow Me. I love some of his writings and some of the things that he that he writes about, and he gives an illustration about how he and his uh, uh, excuse me, a friend of his and someone else was in a taxi, and they were talking about the the magnitude of sin. And how sin is not big when someone commits it. Sin, the magnitude of sin is the person who they commit against. And this person was telling the story. He says, what if I were to come up to you right now and slap you in the face? What would you do? And that person said, well, I would probably tell you to leave and I don't want to ever see you again. And then he said, well, what if I went up to a stranger just out on the road somewhere that I don't know? And I just went up there and I slapped him right in the face. What do you think would happen? He said, well, that guy would probably turn to you and, and hit you back and it will start a fight. He said, see, it's a little bit stronger of a reaction. He said, what if I went up to a policeman and I just walked right up to him and I slapped him right in the face? What do you think what would happen? He said, well, you'd get arrested and you'd probably be taken to jail. He said, okay. He said, so the magnitude... Of that sin is greater because of the person 
that he sinned against. He said, yeah, I can see that. He said, what if you went up to the President of the United States, went right up to him and slapped him right in the face, what would happen? He said, the Secret Service would probably shoot you. He said, you'd probably die. Because of the person that you sinned against. He said, you mean I would, I would die? He said, yeah, you probably would because they didn't know what you would do next or anything like that. I said, oh, okay. I said, that's pretty strong. You can't get more severe than death. And then his friend, as he was witnessing to this guy, he said, what would happen if I sinned against God? And that man who was being witnessed to said, I, I can see that. See, there's somebody greater than you and somebody greater than somebody that you don't know. Somebody greater than a policeman. Somebody greater than the President of the United States. Our sin and the sinned sin of your friends is against God. And if we don't invite and invest and involve them in the gospel... They will stand in front of the one who they've sinned against. And they will die for their sins. The wages of sin is what? Is death. But I love, there's a comma after that word death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I challenge you this week to invite five people. Hey, I want you to come. Invite them. Invest in them and involve them. I'm going to ask if you would to pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As we lead into the most important part of our service, it's an opportunity where you can respond. For some of you, you've heard the gospel this morning that Jesus Christ is Savior of all the world and He died for you. And today, He can save your life if you open up your heart. Today, Jesus Christ wants to invite you into His kingdom. He's come for you. And friend, if you've never invited Jesus Christ to come in your heart and to save you, in just a minute we're going to have an invitation. It's an opportunity for you to come. We call it an invitation. We invite for you to come. Say, so, Brother John, what happens when I come? I'll be down here in the front. Our youth minister is also down here in the front. When you come, I'll talk with you for a second. If, you, if we need to walk through the gospel, I'll pass you off to someone who can walk through the gospel with you and show you what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. It's the only decision you need to make now because nothing else matters until you make that decision. So if you need to give your life to Jesus, I encourage you to come here in just a second. Church, what about you? What we're trying to do is encourage and motivate, motivate each one of us to make a difference in the kingdom of God. I trust that all of us are participating. I trust that we're not like the religious folks that are questioning what we're trying to do in making a difference in God's kingdom. See, this is not my idea. This is the Bible. The Bible says go and make disciples. The Bible says make a difference in the lives of those who are not believers. We're the ones. We are the missionaries. And all we're trying to do is be encouraged of what Jesus wants to do. So maybe you want to come and pray. Maybe you want to come to this altar and say, God, here's the five people I want to invite this week to come.
Here's the three lost people I'm praying for. Here's the five that I want to invite to my class. And I want to bring them next Sunday. I want to bring them in two weeks or three weeks. So whenever you can arrange it, I want them to come. I want to invite them. I want to invest in them. And I want to involve them in the gospel of Jesus. You may be a guest. This is where God's called you to be a part and to join. You can do that here at this time as well. Father, we love you today. Thank you, Lord, so much for, for speaking to our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that we would not just be hearers only, but we would be doers of what your word tells us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you just to stand.